you'd like to be finding your seats, that would be great. And uh, we have opportunity to have coffee and uh, tea and drinks at the end of the meeting. So it would be great to just catch up with each other at that point. All right. Well, welcome to our meeting again uh, this morning of Christ Central Church. It's great to have you join us, whether you're here in person or whether you are online as well. We have reached chapter four of our journey through Paul's letters to the Ephesians. So why don't we get right into reading um, we'll read the first 13 verses of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to really focus on uh, just two or three of them from 11 to 13. So I'll read first, four, first 13 verses. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who's over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it. That's why it said when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Okay, last time we saw how Jesus had defeated his enemies, the power of darkness through his death on the cross, forgiving us of our sins, and then he rose from the dead and he ascended to the Father, and after he'd done that, he gave gifts of grace to each of us, poured out gifts of grace to each of them, each of us. And uh, some of those are, the, you know, obviously the gift of the Holy Spirit, and there's different spiritual gifts that we might receive from that and some of those have been in operation this morning and they're to encourage us they're to build each other up and hopefully that has happened through what's been brought through Trevor and through Debbie and through um, Gabby and who else Jerusha and Jody and Passionate um, all brought things to strengthen and encourage us uh, things that had come from the Holy Spirit. Now Paul's going to outline some more of what some of these gifts are, but we might be a little surprised because we might have thought, well, Paul's going to talk about some of these spiritual gifts that might get, he sometimes does talk about it in 1 Corinthians, for example, or Romans, different gifts of, of, of tongues or wisdom or knowledge or healing or administration, faith, giving. That's not what he's going to talk about. What Paul talks about here is actually people. He starts to list people. He says Christ gave the apostles. Christ gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists. He gave the pastors and teachers. These people are gifts to the church. He's not talking about the gift of evangelism. Fun fact, actually, if you look in the Bible, you'll not find the gift of evangelism listed anywhere in the Bible. But you will find an evangelist who is a gift to the church. Paul's saying, this is how God's building his church. 
This is how God's building his church. It's his plan to display his manifest wisdom to the whole world. It's pretty important stuff. This is the method that God has set out, and it's the one that we want to follow as a church. So before we get into looking at that in more detail, I just want to highlight that what we're looking at today is a key distinctive of who we might be as a church, what kind of church we are. And it's worth saying that, it's worth highlighting it, because people can join us from all sorts of different church backgrounds and assume that we're very similar in our foundations. We may well be very similar to the church background you came from, but we may be very different. And this is one of our uh, key distinctives, maybe. How we structure ourselves and what we believe about Ephesians chapter 4 is actually fundamentally different from a number of different churches across Canada and the world even. And my aim is that hopefully we'll be able to see that difference soon and you'll get a better understanding of who we are as a church. And I hope and pray that that will excite you and fill you with faith. Now, also in saying that, I just want to highlight, because we, Paul's already talked about unity between believers. And we want to be in unity with other churches. And there's always the danger, as I say, if I say things like this, this is one of our distinctives, that it can come across as though I'm saying, well, we're better than the other churches. Look, that's not what I'm saying at all. We want to honor other churches. We want to pray for other churches. We want to be in good relationship with them. We do do those things. But it, it does mean that, it doesn't mean that we want to water down any of the convictions that we have about what we believe. So as we um, seek to build Christ's central church, we want to see what the Bible has to say about the church, and then we want to seek to follow what we believe God has established and says about that. So there might be some differences here about what Paul says and how uh, different churches operate, uh, partly because things change actually over time. Tradition changes things, and, and we can all, we've always got to be very wary of just doing things because that's become our tradition. If we don't keep reminding ourselves of who we are and what we believe, then we can end up just fitting in with the culture. I'll give you an example of that actually from the UK um, last week or two. In Scotland, there's actually now a, an, a leadership election going on for the leader of the ruling Scottish National Party. And there's three candidates who are standing, and one of them, Kate Forbes, is a Christian. And uh, so very early on, she announced she was going to stand as a candidate. And right from the start, people knew she was a Christian. So a few people started asking her, well, what do you believe about marriage? What do you believe about family? And some of those things. And she made some comments. Uh, and she uh, said, look, I'm not imposing anything on anyone else. But for myself, as a Christian, this is what I believe. And she said, you know, I believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman. And she said, the ideal context for having children is within a marriage. I mean, she was basically saying what was, has been Christian doctrine for the last 2,000 years. But she was vicious, viciously attacked in the press. Well, that's not surprising. Culture doesn't tend to line up with Christian ethics today. Um, but what I did find concerning was that someone else in her party, uh, John Swinney, another member of the government, tried to make out that she, he said... It's got nothing to do with her faith, what she's just said. He said, she's, she's pretty much just being bigoted. He said, I am a man of deep Christian faith, but I don't hold the same views that she does. 
And he pointed out, he said, there's other churches, they said the several churches in Scotland conduct gay marriages, he said, so it's nothing to do with her faith. For her, it was very much to do with what she believed. But he's right that churches have changed over time and some churches don't necessarily reflect what the Bible says. So we have to be careful to understand what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does God say about how he wants to build his church, how he wants us to live our life? We want to keep going back to that. So that's what we're going to do this morning. What is God's plan for the church? We can come off that page. We don't need uh, Kate looking at us for a while now. Well, verses 11 and 12 tell us this. He said, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up. And that's how it was in the early church. There were these different people with different gifts who came in, they equipped the whole church so that the whole church, the whole body of Christ was built up. And God did that because none of us has got everything. None of us can be everything and bring every gift and every aspect of what God's wanting to do. In the church, we have lots of different people and lots of different gifts. We have a real diversity. We're all unified together in Christ. We're one in Christ, but there's a diversity. We're all going to be different, and we're all going to bring something different. And that's how it's supposed to operate in the leadership of the church as well. God wants corporate leadership many people involved in leadership where everyone comes with different leadership gifts and they all complement each other. What happened historically was fairly quickly after the church began, uh, in the centuries after the church began, you lost all of those distinctives of ministries, different people, and you got the priest. It became the priest. And uh, then the Reformation happened and you'd think, okay, well, maybe we're going to get back to this. But no, actually, you ended up with the pastor. The priest just became replaced by the pastor. The, the charismatic life of the church got reduced to something, kind of just became institutional. Oh, yeah, every, every church has its pastor. And the attitudes in some places often became, you know, well, the pastor's the one who does it all. The pastor's the one who's supposed to have all the gifting. Well, of course, no one person can have that and often that just leads to pastors feeling the pressure of that and and struggling and burning out and and it leads to churches getting very disappointed in their pastors because they say oh he's not quite what we expected the pastor to be like and that's the model in a number of uh, North American churches today we have people who will come and they'll come to a church meeting and they'll sit in their seats and they'll expect the pastor to do everything there's no thought of different gifts no thought of different uh, people bringing others through, encouraging each other. Even some of what we've seen this morning, where we've had different people from within the body, within the church, come and help lead and help shape things. Actually, no, it's all down to the pastor. And uh, if the pastor can't handle it themselves, then it's, they'll employ some staff, and it's down to the staff. It's down to the people on the staff. Um, so because the church are paying the pastor, the pastor has the job of keeping everyone happy. And if they don't keep everyone happy, um, they might get invited to leave. Or people in the church might decide 
to leave. My grandparents, uh, when they were alive, were part of a church in England, and they decided to leave that church because the pastor didn't come and visit them. Um, well, the pastor's not been this last year, that's it, we're, we're going to leave. And that can be an attitude that happens, you know, it's all down to the pastor. But we see in this, in this passage here, that's not how it's supposed to be. Leaders aren't supposed to be the ones who are here to please the people. They're supposed to be the people who are equipping people to prepare them for works of service so the body of Christ might be built up together. Now, obviously, as leaders, none of us are perfect, so we haven't got all this down perfectly. Um, but I just love us to get hold of this is how church life should be. That the leaders in the church are here in different formats, different ways, different giftings to equip and strengthen you so that you will come to maturity and you will build up the church. When I first came here seven years ago, Joe, who had led the team here for a number of years, Joe Crummy, was transitioning at that time to take on a more apostolic role. Uh, I'll explain what that might mean in a moment. Um, but he was, he, he'd been the, the team leader here, and then I was coming in, and Joe was, Joe was still going to be part of the team here, but he was going to be more apostolic in what he was doing. And one person in the church at the time came to me and said, you know, I really like Joe as my pastor, and I've heard he's going now, and, and I've got to get to like you. Um, she said, but I, I don't want to like you. Uh, she said, I don't know you, it's nothing personal. <laughs> so I really like Joe. Um, so I, I don't really want to get to know you. I just want Joe to stay doing what he was doing. Um, and I, I kind of appreciated the honesty. Thanks, Debbie, for that. Um, <laughs> Joe, Joe was still... You've got to listen to the first part of it. Joe was, <laughs> Joe was still part of the leadership team here, but... She wasn't seeing it like that. In her view, Joe was the pastor. She liked her pastor. Another pastor was coming to take his place. She didn't really want that. So it was maybe, maybe, and you know, maybe she struggled to see actually we're working in team. We're building team. Joe still got very much things to bring, as have others in the church as well. So let's look at de in some detail at how God designed that to happen. Paul says there are a range of different gifted people all of them essential for building the church into what it's supposed to be. Firstly, you've got apostles. Apostles are sent out to found, to, to, to start and establish churches. The first apostles were the 12 that Jesus was with. Um, Judas obviously died, so there was 11, and then they added Matthias. And they were the ones who Jesus sent out to make disciples of all nations. He gave them the Great Commission. But after that, other apostles were added. And so we read in the New Testament that Paul was described as an apostle. And then there was a whole list of others, Epaphroditus, Barnabas, Apollos, Jesus's brother, James. They, and those apostles called people together and they laid foundations. They laid foundations. Paul says in, uh, in 2.20, he says... Um, you are God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Being an apostle is a foundation-laying role. And the foundations that apostles build on are the teaching of the apostles. 
We see that in the early chapters of Acts, uh, that the people actually gave themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And so we will teach and build the church on the foundation of the apostles. So we'll teach what the apostles taught. We'll teach what the apostles taught. So if we're going to build on apostolic foundations, we have to make sure that we're teaching the same things that the apostles taught. So we find that in books like Acts, uh, which explain the start of the early church and include some of the teachings of what the apostles taught. And we find it in books like, in letters like Romans and the letter to the Ephesians as well. Same with the letter to the Romans. Paul, he's writing to a church he's never been to. He's never been to the church in Rome. And so he's saying, I really want to come and see you. I really want to get to you. But before I come, I'm sending you a letter. And this is what I believe. Here's what I believe. So he sets out the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1.16. And then he explains what the gospel is. He says, it's the righteousness that comes from God so that we can stand before God right. And then he explains why we need it. He said, because actually the wrath of God is being poured out against sin. And we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Um, God's wrath is against us. But the good news is that there's righteousness available. We can be made right with God. And there's only one way that we can receive that. And that's through Christ Jesus. He starts to set out the gospel. And that's some of, that's apostolic teaching. That's what we believe. That's what we teach. It's the message of God's grace, where we can be made right before God, and then we can receive the Holy Spirit of God. And we can pray, and we can know God's manifest presence. This is apostolic, foundational teaching. And so, as a church, you will find, when you come here, if you come here regularly, you'll find those themes keep coming up and up, again in the church because we don't only teach what the apostles taught we teach it with the same emphasis that they put on it so as we go through the new testament we see well what was it that gets emphasized which which teachings get emphasized which teachings come up time and time again and those are some of the ones that we focus on the apostles didn't put a lot of emphasis on end time events they didn't put a lot of emphasis on what was going to happen when Jesus returns. Now, they did teach into it, so we will teach it, but that wasn't where the emphasis was. They didn't put a lot of emphasis on the place of Israel in those purposes of God. Now, they touched on it. They touched on it. Romans chapter 9, 10 touches on it, but it wasn't a major thing. So then it's not a major thing for us either. We may mention it. We've talked about it before now but it's not going to be something that we talk about a lot. The emphasis is on the basics of where God has made a way for people to come to him. And so that's what we do. So you'll find in the book of Acts, in the accounts in the book of Acts, that the apostles would go to a place where they saw that God has been working and they would establish some of these foundations. In Acts chapter 8, um, people had been scattered. They'd gone up to Samaria and they start speaking about Jesus and people start to come to faith. God starts to work. And the apostles in Jerusalem, they didn't just kind of say, that's great news about what's happening in Samaria. People are getting saved. They actually sent Peter and John. You can read about this in Acts chapter 8. They sent Peter and John to go down and to pray for the believers there 
that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And then they go round all the villages and they speak and they preach the gospel. They start speaking about Jesus. They establish some of these apostolic foundations in the areas where people have, have, uh, have come to faith. Because otherwise people will say, oh great, I've come to faith in Jesus, but I, I don't really know what else I believe. I, I, know, I know something of God, but they're a bit lost and they can get uh, swayed one way or the other, get blown about. No, we need some good teaching, we need some good foundations so that we can come to maturity. That's what the apostles were doing. Later on, Barnabas and Saul were sent out from their apostolic-based church in Antioch, and they go out and strengthen churches. So they established churches, they strengthened churches, they kind of traveled around for a bit, and then they went back and visited some of those churches again, and when they visited them again, they established leadership in those churches. So the biblical method of world mission is evangelism and planting, establishing churches and having apostolic foundations laid into them. And it's a dynamic thing. The apostles are sent. The whole word apostle means sent one. Um, so there's going to be sending in the DNA of the churches that they established. Apostolic churches will always be looking to see other churches planted and established. They'll be sending people. So as Christ's central church, as our church, we have long since understood from God we're to be an apostolic base. We would expect to have some of, some, some of these people who might be described as apostles or prophets here amongst us, because not every church would. And we have a vision to see churches planted and established in the 12 university towns and cities across Atlantic Canada. So currently, we have churches that we're in relationship with in Fredericton, in Charlottetown, PEI, in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, in St. John's, Newfoundland. Um, but then we've also got a vision, and we pray that we're going to see churches in Moncton and St. John, uh, New Brunswick, and Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Sackville, and Sydney, and Truro, and Antigonish, and Church Point. Those are the 12 that we believe God's spoken to us about. So as you might have heard on Wednesday, if you came to our vision evening and AGM, um, we're looking to plant a church into Halifax, uh, hopefully at the end of next year. Um, so we believe that we've got Joe Crummy, has, who has got apostolic gifting. So he, along with Gary Gallant, who we would see as um, having, being an Ephesians 4 prophet. I'll explain that in a minute. They often go and they travel together and they visit these churches. They'll input into these churches. So they'll go and travel to Wolfville um, or they'll be in contact maybe by uh, and visit um, St. John's Newfoundland and they'll be in regular phone and um, video com um, contact with them. I also input into the Charlottetown church a little bit more recently. So you see what's happening is wider than just the local church. Local church is so important. Local church here in Fredericton is so important, but it's wider than that as well, and it's dynamic. So we would see, we would expect to see people here being involved in going to strengthen some of those churches in Newfoundland or in Charlottetown or in Wolfville or going to Halifax, being involved in planting new churches. 
And as a church, we ourselves have received apostolic input over the years. So right from the start, we had input. We've got pictures here. Uh, right from the start, we had input from uh, Don Smith, who, who was from the UK. Uh, he's there in the picture there with Joe. And uh, Dave Fellingham, Dave and Rosie, they're visiting again this summer for a month uh, to input into us. Jeremy Simpkins, there's a picture there of Jeremy and Anne. Um, Jeremy's going to visit us in April this year. And uh, they come to visit us, not just to give me and Joe a break from preaching, but they come to visit to strengthen us in some of this foundational teaching. So they'll input into the leadership, but they'll input into the whole church as well. And they'll, they're gifts to us. They are gifts to us as a church. They're people who we would see bringing apostolic input over the years. That's the apostles. The prophets. These are often linked together with apostles. Often they go together, apostles and prophets. They complement each other. Complement, complement, not compliment. They don't, they don't say, oh, you're looking good today and, you know, all of that. <laughs> say nice things about each other. They're, they're a complement to each other. Um, often people think of Old Testament prophets when they hear the word prophet. Um, but there's the difference between Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets spoke to a nation. And they often spoke God's judgment on the na nation. They, they spoke to the nation. We don't have prophets speaking to the nation today. We have prophets speaking to the church. And so in the New Testament, we see people in the book of Acts like Agabus, who was a prophet. He came to speak to Paul and the leadership there. Um, he, there's people like Judas and Silas. Uh, we read about them in Acts 15. It says they were prophets, and it says they said much to strengthen the believers. It's worth pointing out that a prophet isn't just someone who prophesies in the church. Different people might prophesy in the church, might have the gift of prophecy. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily an Ephesians 4 prophet. These are people who are equipping others, often traveling, often working together with apostles, laying some of these foundations in the churches. And prophets can bring insight into situations. They can bring vision into situations. They can often expose things or uncover things in a helpful way which might stop the church from growing. So there might be someone who, who you think, actually, the prophet sees and thinks, actually, no, there's something in you here which God just needs to deal with because right now that is stopping the church from moving forward. Prophets can be very helpful in doing that. They can speak to the church. They can give the church perspective which is beyond what they normally see. So prophets can often say, look, things can be difficult now, but, but, but this is what God is doing. And they can give the church a bigger vision, a bigger picture of what God is doing, giving encouragement, reminding people of vision. And they also encourage others in the gift of prophecy. So within our church, I've already mentioned, Gary Gallant um, is someone who operates as an Ephesians 4 prophet. He's traveled with Joe quite a lot. They go in and out to different churches, but he also helps strengthen our church when he's here. And that's in what he brings on a, uh, on a Sunday or whenever we gather together. But also, he'll work alongside other people with prophetic gifting. I know some people here will have met with Joe, with Gary one-on-one, -on -one, and he'll have helped them just to develop their prophetic gift. We've also been in the benefit of um, Ginny Bergen, who is a friend of ours, who's based actually out of Sheffield. That's the uh, church we came from originally. 
Um, Sheffield also would see itself as an apostolic base, sending people. So we came out of Sheffield, myself, our family. And uh, Ginny is based still in Sheffield, but she travels out of Sheffield regularly as well. And she's been really helpful to the church here. She was here last fall. And, um, you know, I, I know that a number of people here will say, oh, she just brought such encouragement and strength. She spoke to the church. She spoke to a women's meeting. She met people one-on-one. -on -one. She was only here for a few days, but really helpful. She helped us as leaders. So she came into our leaders' meetings, our elders' meetings. She'll input into those. She'll bring insight into things, wisdom into some of the situations that we're dealing with. So Ginny, we would see as an Ephesians 4 prophet alongside Gary. Gary is one of us who is going out. Evangelists. So we've done apostles, prophets, evangelists. Evangelists, these are people who are crucial to building up of the church. People with a heart to see people saved. Um, people who mobilize the church into speaking to other people about God as well. We can put the next slide up if you want. Uh, we've just got an evangelist. I've already mentioned in the New Testament, Philip. Oh, I don't know if I did actually. Philip was an evangelist in the New Testament uh, in Acts. He was a remarkable evangelist. He, um, he heard an Ethiopian ruler uh, in his chariot or, or carriage or whatever it was. He's reading, probably aloud, from the book of Isaiah. And he hears him doing that. And most people would just be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. Philip goes up to him and says, oh, do, do you know what it is that you're, that you're reading about? And he's got quite some boldness as, as Philip. This is a ruler. Um, but Philip goes and talks to him. And the guy goes, uh, yeah, I'm reading from the book of Isaiah. Do, do you understand it? And the guy goes, well, no, not really. I mean, how are we supposed to understand it? Philip explains it to him, explains, uh, talks about Jesus. The guy ends up saying, wow, that's incredible. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Is there any reason why I shouldn't be baptized? Philip isn't someone who's thinking, oh, you know, we've got to get all the structures right. We ought to gather all the church together, plan a meeting and everything. Philip's like going, oh, yeah, let's just baptize you here. Finds some water, baptizes him on the spot. That's kind of what evangelists do. They kind of just go with the flow. They go with the spirit and things happen. It can be exciting. It can be dynamic. Here in Fredericton, um, I don't think we really have an, an Ephesians 4 evangelist based here um, right now. It's something that I feel we do need some strengthening in. Um, we um, have been in contact with some people who have been, who we do feel are evangelists. So last year, or it might be in the year before now, we got someone who's, um, who I, I'd known from the past called Lex Loisides, and uh, we asked if he would help us as a church. He sent a video through, so some of you might remember that. Lex, I think he had a beard when he spoke to us uh, on the video. Um, he, he's a real evangelist, and his message to us was to help us to become more comfortable in reaching other people, in speaking to others about Jesus. And we may well ask Lex again. He got in touch with me the other week and just said, is there anything else I can help you as a church with? So we may well be getting some more input from him. He lives in South Africa, but because of Zoom and video technology and the internet these days, it's much more easy um, to have input from people from outside. So we felt we need strengthening in that area. So we're going to go to an Ephesians 4 evangelist.
And then finally, pastors and teachers. Um, well, there's some debate among scholars as to whether this is two groups, pastors and teachers, or whether it's one pastor-teacher. And uh, I can explain my reasoning to you a little later if you're interested, uh, but I believe it's more likely, most people think it's more likely to be one ministry, which is someone who cares for the ongoing work of the church and the people in the church, often elders in the church, um, and so they shepherd the church, but often do that through teaching. So a shepherd will often bring teaching to the church, and that's why elders, if you look at the biblical criteria for elders, it's that they should be able to teach, because um, pastors and teachers, uh, it goes together. Some people will have more of a pastoral emphasis, some will have more of a teaching emphasis. So I would say both Joe and myself fit into this role as well, um, but we outwork it in different ways, according to our personality, according to the gifts God has given us. Pastors and teachers build up the church in love and truth. They make sure people are cared for. Although, again, the idea isn't that they do all of the stuff. It's that they encourage and equip others to care for people, not do it all themselves. So what we do here is we establish life groups. We want to encourage everyone, if possible, to be part of a life group. It's a smaller community of believers, um, and we we then work alongside and with the life group leaders to equip and strengthen them so that they can care for people and that they will then help other people to care for people even within their groups it's not that the pastor has to do it all it's not that the pastor has to go and visit every time someone is sick it's not that the pastor has to go to people's homes as long as someone in the church is doing that we want to make sure everyone feels cared for everyone feels looked after so if you have a problem that you need working through, it may well be that that comes to our attention, but we might think, do you know what? There's someone who can help much better than we can help. And so we might say, oh, why don't you meet with so-and-so? That doesn't mean we're not interested. It doesn't mean that we're just like, don't have the time, and we're like, oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll just send someone else in. No, we believe there's people within the church body who in different situations can come and really bring the encouragement and strength and care that you need. We want to encourage all of us to be involved in different ways. So Joe and Angela are great at inviting people to their homes for meals. Ollie and Hazel are as well. But it's not just the job of the elders to invite people into each other's homes for meals. We want to encourage each one of us to do that. We want to equip you in that. We want to encourage you strengthen you in that. It's not just the leader's jobs to chat to new people on a Sunday morning. We want to encourage all of us to be a friendly and welcoming church and to chat and make each other feel at home. So I'd encourage and urge you to do that. Um, so very briefly, those are the gifts of people that Paul outlines which bring a variety of leadership gifts to the church. And the important thing is that there's variety Every one of these people has got different characteristics. Human nature means we're going to be drawn to, to one or another more than some of the others. We're going to think, oh, I really love this person when they come up and, and preach because I feel I connect with them. I feel there's a resonating uh, resonance there. But the important thing is that there's variety. 
So yes, if you're, a prof if you're prophetic, you might be drawn to a prophet. If you really care about people's needs, you'll be drawn to a pastor or a shepherd. But we need all of these gifts. We need all of these gifts to strengthen the church. And often, they can be on different ends of the spectrum. Um, pastors and prophets, or, and apostles and prophets, they're often very different to each other. Joe and Gary. If you know Joe, pastor, pastoral heart, apostolic, Gary, prophetic. Very different kind of personalities. But actually, they work very well together. And have got great friendship together. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. That's what it's meant to be like. That's how it should be. Opposites can often react against each other, but God actually brings people together to work together. And as a church, we need to benefit, to learn to benefit from all of the different people that God has put amongst us, all of us. Um, don't just confine yourself to input from the people and the ministry that you most appreciate. We need everyone in the church. And, and that's why actually we should be part of a church and we should receive our input from people tends to be from within the church or who the local body of the church bring in. It's great that we've got online resource these days. We can listen to other people. That can be a great supplement. But don't let that replace what God is doing in and through the local church because there's a uniqueness about what God's doing in the church and the people that he brings. And it's relationship. We can relate to, to, to people here. We, we know people. Other people online, they're not going to know you. They can't input in the same way. So most people would tend to prefer someone who's pastoral, naturally, to someone who's prophetic, because a pastor with a strong shepherding gift will make us feel good about ourselves, and they'll strengthen and encourage us in that way, in a good way. And their teaching might be like really clear and ordered. You know, Joe's teaching, he's like, he's like really clear and ordered, and, and everything begins with the letter P. Or the next week, everything begins with the letter T. How do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> the person who's prophetic might make you feel a little bit more uncomfortable. And if they're preaching, they might have a tendency to be all over the place. And they might not even preach from their notes half the time. And they go off on something else. And some people are like, what's going on? But actually, there's real benefit to that. We need it just as much as we need the pastor. We have a church that should always be different, always be dynamic, should never be static, because it's about something that's vibrant and active and world-changing. And God's put all of these people here to prepare us for works of service. And the word that's used to mean prepare is the same word uh, that gets used for mend. It's mending, preparers, menders for works of service. Um, it's the word that's used for, for fishermen who mend their nets. And uh, because they've got holes in. And some of us have got holes in. Some of us are damaged. Some of us need putting back together again. We've all got a history. And we need mending. We need mending if we're going to serve God. And all these ministries are, are working to mend and equip us. It's not just listening to words on a Sunday morning. It's a mending it's an equipping. Fishermen mend their nets because they're going to go out fishing. There's a job to be done. They mend their nets because there's a job to be done and they're going to go out and fish. And these ministries mend God's people. 
They equip the saints because there's a work to be done. There's a world to be reached. There's a sense of development about it. As a church, we're being equipped. We're being equipped as you listen to me or Joe or Gary or Jeremy or Ginny. We need to hear all the different ministries and have them mend us so that we can do what God intended us to do. We get mended and then we come into works of service. Each one of us. Ministries reproduce themselves. People have said to me, well, you know, if you go to Halifax, who's going to do what it is that you do here? Well, hopefully, some of the people here will start to do that. We'll start to see others emerge and take that on. We're not just going to employ, I don't think we are, going to employ someone from outside to come on in. Actually, we're going to see what God is doing amongst us because that's what God's plan is. We have to reproduce people in our gifting. Passionate's really good at doing that in our life group. He leads our life group. Most of the time, he doesn't do anything. He disappears off somewhere else. <laughs> but, but I'm just teasing him. No, he's really good. He's really good at equipping people in our life group. And you'll find the people in our life group are all now very used to leading life groups, to praying out, to leading discussions, to hosting socials, to doing different things. They all do different things. Actually, if you look at what Passionate actually does himself, it's relatively little, but he's actually doing a lot. He's doing what he should be doing. He's equipping other people. Some of us with these ministries, we love to spend time one-on-one -on -one with people to equip and encourage. Um, some of us do it corporately in groups. I try and do that with ministries that I'm involved in like Kids Club or Alpha. With Kids Club, we encourage the people on the team to step out in prayer, in talking to people in the community, telling them about Jesus, in teaching here, in leading in different ways. We have regular training mornings. Every week after Kids Club, we'll have a feedback session. We'll, have, we'll say, how did things go? We'll reflect on the things that went really well. We'll encourage people in things that, oh, maybe we could have done that a little bit better. Maybe we should do it like this next time. That's not to be critical. It's not to tear people down. It's because actually we're wanting to train and teach and equip people so that they can do it. And, and we want this ministry to continue. When Debbie and I leave here uh, and, and, and maybe plant a church into Halifax and others maybe go from here, it might mean others coming back into the team who've already been trained and equipped so that we could still see that going on. It might mean current team members taking a larger role. What, we, what we're looking to do is produce things in each other. Eventually, we can move away and we can allow others to do it. And the church grows and a world is reached. Church life is never static. God's got something better than that. As a church, we're always going to be giving away good people to other places, planting churches, so that then others can take their place here. That's how it was with Jesus' disciples, wasn't it? Jesus went around, his disciples followed him, they watched him do some stuff, they watched him heal people, set people free, all of the things, and then Jesus said, now you go and do it. And he sent them out to do it. And they were like, oh, okay, really? We've got to do it now? And they went out in 12, and then they went out in 72. And then they came back, and Jesus spoke to them. He said, how did it go? He gave them some feedback, and he gave them some feedback about their attitude sometimes. He said, you're a bit arrogant, actually, now. 
And actually, you're not as good as you thought you were because this person didn't get delivered. And he works through the, the practical nitty-gritty things. And then he said, now I'm going. I'm going to die, but I will be raised from the dead. But then I'm leaving you. I'm going to ascend to heaven. And they said, whoa, 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 whoa. What's this about? He said, now it's your turn. Now you're doing it. How can we do it? Well, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to give you all that you need. And then that's what we saw happen. We see all of those people become the apostles and they are establishing churches. They are doing it. And then they're giving it away as well. That's how God's church works. God didn't call you here to be part of a crowd. You've been given something. You've been given a gift. Some of you, it might be obvious what you've been given. Some of you, it might need some uncovering. It might be dormant, but it's there because the Bible tells us it's there. You might be in need of mending. Some of us need lots of mending. But there's ministry here to help get you mended for a purpose. For a purpose to be used by God to serve others and to build up the body of Christ. Our vision here is not to grow a huge congregation. We can't fit all that many people in here. Actually, what our vision is, is to input into the people who are here so that you grow and you mature and then you are used, maybe sent out or used here to love other people, to build the church, to serve others. And so this is, you know, it's not about the people at the front. It's not Joe's church. It's not my church. It's God's church where many gifts are in operation in many different situations, manifesting the fullness of Christ. Don't you want Fredericton to see all that Jesus is manifest through us in the city? Don't you long for that? We don't need clever strategies to see that. What we need is to see the church body operating as it should. We've got a city to reach. We've got a nation to reach. We've got a world to reach. God's given his church a huge task. And it can only be done by an army of equipped people. No passengers. Not people tending their wounds forever on the sidelines, but coming, getting mended, getting healed, being equipped and then being sent or working here so that life blossoms all over the place. God is looking for us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. What are you going to do with what you have received? What are you going to do with what you have received from myself or Joe or Gary or Jeremy or Ginny or others? You're being fed to be equipped for works of ministry. You'll do things you never thought you would do in the power of the Spirit, God working through you. Is that what you want? Is that what you expect to happen? Why don't we pray that God continues to do that in and through our church, in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand together? I'd just love to pray for us as we close this morning.